Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Marjorie Bunnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. I have a couple of updates for you, Elizabeth. Ooh, I love when you start on a mission. This is wonderful. (laughs) One is really lovely, and the other is very dark and terrifying. And I would expect nothing less from you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then I'm going to go with lovely first. Okay. So for our longtime podcast listeners, they know that I'm going to rewrite my history for the next generation of punnets that come. I'm speaking of grandchildren because I did not cook. So when I was interviewing all these chefs, they would always talk about like, oh, their best memories were the smells when mom was cooking, whatever. And when grandma was cooking the meatballs, I used to put my hands up on the table and I used to steal. My kids have none of those memories. I know. They have memories of the Highland Grill. That is their memory of their childhood. So I decided with our grandchildren, if we ever have any, no pressure to my children, that they are going to remember their grandmother as this baking grandmother. Like she was amazing. So I have started and I made my first dessert. I made bread pudding. Okay. I love bread pudding. Bread pudding is underutilized, underappreciated, and it's a carbohydrate magic substance. Absolutely. And I wung it a little, if that's a word. Wung is not, but that's okay. And I made two little batches, one with a bunch of whiskey. That would not be for the grandchildren. (laughs) And one that was grandma friendly. And it worked. But what you're going to love is I used the leftover rolls that we got at Texas Roadhouse. (laughs) Have you ever been to Texas Roadhouse? I've never been to a Texas roadhouse. I've been to Texas, but not a Texas roadhouse. We don't have a lot of restaurants here in Manhattan, so you have to forgive me. But Texas roadhouse brings baskets and baskets of rolls. They want you to eat them and they're loaded with sugar. So they are perfect for bread pudding. But I would say the whole time I was thinking is like, Elizabeth would be so proud of me. She would be so proud of me. And the house smelled good. Yeah. I'm also proud of you using leftover things and not wasting them. So there's so many elements to the pride here. Absolutely. So that's the happy one. Now is the dark one. (laughs) So Deutsche Telekom, did you see this? This was all over the internet. No. Um, had produced a new commercial about sharing your children on social media. I saw this. Now I know what you're talking about. Yes. And I have been sort of haunted by this for the last few days. 
Yeah. So just real quickly, Elizabeth and I have done a couple of podcasts, as you know, on social media and what we share about our children, what we share about our families. If you haven't seen this commercial, you can just Google it. It's Deutsche Telekom. You can Google it and find it for yourself. It's meant to be shocking. It's meant to be very scary. But basically, the commercial takes a little girl and through AI, they turn her into an adult. And in the commercial, they invite her parents to the movie theater. You know, this is all, what's artifice? I don't know. It's a commercial. But the parents are sitting in a movie theater and their daughter comes up and it's an adult AI version of her of their daughter. And the daughter goes on to say, basically, look at all the things that can happen to me because you shared my five-year-old face online. And basically it was, I could go to prison for things that I didn't do. My credit score can be ruined. They can take my voice and create an AI voice that is me to pretend, you know, to do any sort of scam. Um, the other thing they talked about is they can use my face in child pornography. So yeah. it's really, really scary. And then she ends, the little girl's voice ends with, what you share online is a digital footprint that will follow me around for the rest of my life. This, and I, you know, Elizabeth knows how I feel about this. And I'm not trying to scare everybody. I'm not. But it is, this is a campaign that I think is worthy and should take a moment for everybody to think about. That's all. Mm -hmm. How's that yeah. make you feel? Icky? Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. I, you know, it's kind of interesting though, because I saw that commercial and then I have also heard, um, I heard about this scam that people are calling you right. and trying to get, get your recorded saying the word. Now I don't even want to say the word. Don't say it. Don't say it. Y-E-S. I don't want to say, I don't want to say it recorded because then they can use that your voice saying it to open accounts and do all of these different things. So I had a woman call me from like the, the people who maintain my air conditioners, they called right. me because they're like, Hey, we're, you're up for your annual inspection of your air right. conditioners. And, but they called me this morning and they said, hi, is this Elizabeth? And I was like, I'm not going to say Y E S. So I said, <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, and then she was like, this is Alicia calling about your air conditioners. And I was like, oh, great. But all of this information is really interesting. And it makes us think more and more about our, our technical use. I, what's difficult about that commercial is that for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I've already done that. So I don't know what to do now. It, it's like so extreme that you're going, I've already put my five-year-old out there. And right. I don't know what to tell you. And and going down to like squashing down to my children will never be appearing on social media is very difficult for a lot of people. And so right. I think the shock factor is there, but I think what we really need is more education about how to do it wisely and how to manage technology in general. And this is why you're a professional broadcaster, because that leads us perfectly into our guest today. So thank you, Elizabeth. Look at that. Of working You're welcome. You. I know. I know. Many, many years of experience. So joining us today is Dr. Newly minted Dr. Jennifer Smith. She has her PhD in human development and family studies. And she is a dear friend of mine who makes hands down Elizabeth the best Caesar salad you will ever ever have. Welcome, Jennifer Smith, to the podcast. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. It's so fun to be here. I can hear you. It's great oh. to hear you. Great to be on the show. Thank you. And we're, we're so happy you're here. What we're talking about today is technology and family structure. And in fact, technology and the disruption of traditional family structure. And Jennifer and I started talking, this is what we talk about at our dinner parties 
it's a it's a whole lot of fun. But Jennifer, <laughs> I think what's really interesting, and I want to start with, well, let's start a little bit with your background, because I love that it's a PhD in human development and family studies. What does that actually mean? Well, you know, it's on the it's on the spectrum of psychology, where psychology is kind of, if you look at psychology as kind of a broad topic, you have all of these um, pieces in psychology that you can study. You can study cognitive, you can study personality, you can study what I did, which is the lifespan and how uh, issues related to development, um, they, they start at birth, they start before birth. And then you look at the context of how the brain, the body, and all of these pieces of the temperament you're born with kind of merge together to create who you are. And that's what I study. That's so fascinating. And it's ever changing. I mean, it has to be like, I feel like you could be studying this for the rest of your life, Jennifer. Did you know this was a lifetime PhD project? (laughs) It absolutely is. Yes. And every day something new is coming out that gets rid of something old because of changes in our environment, like technology, which is kind of our topic today. Technology is changing who we are and how we're learning. It's changing our bodies and our minds. And that is a whole new field of study that has to be uh, a big, you know, focus now in this field I'm in. Well, I think, and and what we were talking about at dinner that night is specifically how technology is changing how families interact with one another. And again, we all know this intuitively, but when you get down to really talking about it and what that really means, I think it's so important to be aware of it. And so I want you, Jennifer, to first define technoference for us. What are the sort of elements of technoference within a family? Yeah, so this is a relatively new field studied by uh, Dr. Uh, McDaniel, Brandon McDaniel. And he actually coined this phrase technoference, which is basically the interruption that technology is creating in our family relationships. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because... You see now more than ever when you go out to eat, you see the three-year-old sitting in front of their iPad while the family is enjoying a dinner. Now, often what you'll also see is dad's on his phone and the teenage boy is on his phone. And and so you see all these people sitting there engaging with people who are not there. And that term is absent presence. And that term is also important to talk about when we're talking about the the family dynamics. Um, Are we present? even when we're physically present. And that's what a lot of our children are feeling. So we've got our kids at home, they're with us, but we're on our device. So we are physically present and we are mentally absent. And there's some interesting drawbacks to that. Well, tell us about that. And then I want to talk about that phrase in particular, the drawbacks as you see them, as you study them. Yeah. So a number of the drawbacks are we're seeing a rise in things like uh, accidents on playgrounds where there was a that had gone down for a while because they had replaced all of our equipment and they had given soft ground oh. to our playgrounds. But now we have parents who are sitting there on their devices and their kids are still falling off the swings. And, and so we're seeing a rise in that. We're seeing um, a diminished ability to read because parents are wow. depending upon these devices to teach their children these skills. And they're finding that the kids aren't learning. They're not learning things like object permanence, which is an early, early developmental, uh, a developmental piece with children where you, you know, you play peekaboo, right? You hide your face and then you show it. That shows the child that things are there, even when they're huh. not visible. And if you're teaching your children those things by them watching a device, they're not learning. 
they learn from the engagement of another human. So those are some of the, just a couple of things. Right. Well, I, when I was going through notes, the notes that you sent us, this idea of absent present, it struck me because I can remember a very specific fight that I had with my husband and it would have been the year that the iPhone came out. And I can't remember what that year was. And I was a 2007. (laughs) Jennifer knows. Yeah. 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 So 2007, I didn't want a cell phone. And for the longest time, I didn't have one. I mean, I was very late to the cell phone party, very, very late. And I wouldn't allow the children to have them. I don't think they had them until late in high school. Again, much easier to do back in the early 2000s. But when my husband and I used to show prep in our office at home, and we had two chairs and a TV, and we would sit sort of across from each other working on our computer. So already we're working and that's fine. But he used to be texting all the time. And it really, really bugged me because it he was having relationships. I'm also an introvert. But what it meant was that he was having conversations and developing relationships with other people while I was there next to him in the room. And yes. it was just such an odd, I'm probably one of the few people that can remember that moment of what that actually meant. It's the norm now, and I do it too. Everybody does it now. But it was that sort of line of understanding how our world was changing. And he could be texting for hours. And it just was a very strange thing to get used to. And of course, I'm used to it now. Like I said, I do it too. But for people who have never had it the other way, you don't even realize how powerful that absent present problem really is. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that they are really seeing is that this absent presence is causing people to not feel uh, important. And so people feel very diminished by this absent presence. And so you know that if you're sitting in a room with some people and they've all got their phones in front of them, the minute that that phone pings, that is going to become more important than you are. And so I remember in my college classroom, I was talking, I had 50 students in a class and I was asking them, um, do you feel important? And they all said, no, devices are more important than we are. It was so sad. Oh my God. So sad. It's yeah, when, and that is that is then how children feel that they're that they're less important than the devices to their parents. I think that happens a lot in partnerships. I mean, Marjorie, you're talking about that from from that perspective with Ian, which I hadn't even thought about that shift from if other people were sort of brought into a conversation in the home prior to phones, it was really via prior to like cell phones and texting, it was via a landline phone. And so if you were another human present in that house, you would always hear half of the conversation, which drives me crazy when I'm on the phone with someone, because then my husband will be in the room and he thinks he's part of the conversation. So then he's talking to me (laughs) like he's on the phone with a person. And I'm like, Jay, you're not in the conversation. Like we can't, what's happening here. But anyway, but that's that shift is so fascinating to me. I know this a lot as a parent of young children where we have only had cell phones and iPhones, um, you know, tiny computers available since my children have been born. And the amount of frustration I feel with my husband, and I'm going to speak now for a lot of women with young children who 
when you say, okay, hey, like we got to get bedtime going and they're sitting there still watching Instagram videos or like scrolling through videos. And I have literally had to say to my husband, Instagram, like this video that you're watching on Instagram cannot be more important than you moving in the direction that we need to move for our family right now. Like this has to stop. And I talked to tons of my friends and I, is it Jennifer, am I like out of line to think that maybe men can get a little bit more sucked in and addicted to these things than women? Or am I just generalizing? I'm okay with you calling me out. Well, I think that, I think that what we see here is a result of more of that linear thinking that we see in men. If a man is involved in that, it's, it's easier for a man to stay linear than women. We tend to be more fragmented. We tend to be more multitasking kind of all the time that, uh, (laughs) and so we see our husbands like, no, I got to finish this and then I'll move on to the dinner thing. But this video is over in two minutes. And so it's more of just that ability to stay present where we are maybe as women are not as good at that sometimes because the demands are so high. Yeah. Yeah. So it is like a double-edged sword with that, with women. That's right. That's interesting. I don't know. I just always feel like I'm always more nervous about like my boys getting addicted to video games than I am my daughter. And I just, I think just from, I saw that, like I saw my friends when I was growing up, like the boys were always way more obsessed with sitting on the screen longer than the girls were for some reason. Well, well, let me update just a little bit on that one. This is one of those pieces of data that has changed so much over the last five years. It used to be such a fear of video game addiction that people were like, don't let your kids get involved. Don't let your kids go down the rabbit hole with video game addiction. But now what they're finding is mental health issues are far more prevalent in people who are sitting on social media than they are kids who are doing video gaming because video gaming is social. And these kinds of social media really has an impact more on a sense of self where video gaming is more of a collaborative effort. So they're saying now, if you have a choice between your child playing a video game versus sitting and scrolling social media, let them play the video game. It's better for them. Mm. I mean, isn't that weird? It is. (laughs) That is, that is such a shocking statement that 10 years ago, I would never have believed to be true that you would say it's a video game. It's better for them. But now on the other end of, you know, I had kids sort of at the forefront of social media and of gaming and um, our older, our younger son, Campbell is staying here for a couple of weeks with us and he and his brother and their friends from grammar school will all game together sometimes at night. And so I can hear it and they're just talking about life. They're actually yeah. bonding and connecting while they're playing the game. And right. I, it's more that, social and collaborative. Yeah. And that is sort of a revelation to me because I just never really, I haven't been around that much gaming. And then to see, you know, all these grown men gaming, but it's like them almost like if you were going to sit on the phone or, or you were going to just sit around and chat with a bunch of girlfriends. They're just talking about yeah. jobs and family and, you know, wives and life and, it's yep. it's sort of charming to listen to but but gaming is the center point and to to the to the idea of isolation i can so get that especially with young girls that sitting yeah. on social sitting on instagram elizabeth and i have talked about this a lot that when we come across things that don't serve us we're sort of mature enough to know well i'm not going to follow that or i'm not going to do that anymore a 13 year old has all these algorithms working against her to make sure that she stays there. Exactly. Exactly. It pulls you in and keeps you. 
So, so I, oh, go ahead, Marjorie. You, no, you first, Elizabeth. Well, I was just going to ask then, you know, as we sort of, as you've established a lot of the research and, and share these things, I think that the tangible questions that people have now are, well, what do we do? You know, I have an eight-year-old, Jennifer, and she is already asking about when does she get a phone because she sees her older cousins who have a phone. And um, and we have to kind of manage, like we'll allow a little bit of iPad use during certain situations. Um, restaurants are a big thing for me to say no to because I want my, we're city people, Jennifer. Like we, we restaurants are our hobby. We love going to right. restaurants. So I've been very pro- you know, we bring colors, we bring things like that for them to do. And I've only busted out a phone when I say it's a second glass of wine phone, when we want to sit and have one more glass of wine (laughs) and chat, and then we can let the kids be entertained on the iPad. But as far as your, your thinking and you're looking at the research and now you have your PhD, I mean, what are you recommending to parents in terms of managing these types of um, devices and how you bring them into your home? Yeah, good question. It's the uh, American Psychological Association has really kind of compiled a big body of research and come out with a common sense media guide for parents. If they are interested, you can log on to APA and type in common sense media guide and it will walk you through kind of ages and stages. Um, They're recommending no screen time at all for kids prior to 24 months. Um, One of the reasons for that is visualization. It actually can impair visual development. And kids are not able to make the distinction between what's real and what is not real. So they're not learning from it. And it can actually be a bit confusing. Um, After that, they're, you know, one to two hours based on what it is, if it's educational, those kinds of things, family, you know, TV time, family movies, like you said, second glass of wine video, great. Um, But what we're seeing is this progression till eight to 12, they're seeing approximately according to the most recent uh, study, about five hours a day Mm. uh, used for entertainment. And 13 to 18, we're seeing closer to eight hours a day. Those numbers go down based on socioeconomics. So higher socioeconomic families tend to see a little bit less because their kids are involved in more. Lower socioeconomic, we see a little higher numbers. So, um, but as far as phone, like, go ahead. Eight hours a day? Yep. That's what they're seeing. I mean, that's madness. Um, it is madness. And that's happening during school because schools want their the kids to have phones because they use the phones in the classroom. But a couple of things that you can do as a parent is um, one of the first suggestions is get a family cell phone so that you can start giving the child a phone when they're off in an event and you need to reach them to find out pickup times, put some lockdowns on it so that there's limitations. This child can use the phone for 45 minutes on TikTok and they know that that's their limit. And then they can choose how to use that. And you can do those lockdowns on any phone now. And then you as the parent have the passcode. So you can change that as needed. Um, and, and then the having a family cell phone gives the child a little bit of autonomy, a sense of self, but it's not their own. And they're actually recommending kids don't get phones of their own till closer to 14 and 15, which I know no one wants to hear. Oh, right. man. I love right. that idea of the family cell phone, though, because... That's the biggest thing for me, Jennifer, when I think about having a phone is I want my daughter to have, to be able to have some independence, you know, when she's going to things or we drop her off at gymnastics. Like I, the thing that I don't, that I get so uncomfortable with is this 
understanding that nobody, there aren't phones just sitting places anymore. No. You know, you can't just no. like pick one up off the wall and call your mom and say, Hey, I want to come home or, Hey, I don't feel well or something. You have to, you've got that barrier of, you have to ask an adult to use their phone to make the call. And to me, like, I'm not comfortable with that as a parent, because I know when I was a kid, if I was at a friend's house or at a sleepover and I wanted to come home, I could just find a phone in the person's house and pick it up and call them. Right. That's so true. Right. And so to have a family phone, it gives her some agency in those moments without her being able to say, this is my phone. Yeah. Which she's not right. ready for. I, I love that too, because um, I may have told Elizabeth this story, but when, when I was 13 and my sister was 15 and then I had another sister who was 17. So all teenage girls we moved into a high rise in Chicago and my parents had bought two units and put them together. So it was a very long apartment. My parents were way on one end and we were all the way on the other. And my father's solution in that he didn't want us like having a phone that we could sort of squirrel into our room and just have it there privately because we were all starting to date. Um, he put one phone in the hallway. So if you were going to talk to your boyfriend, you had to be literally sitting in the hallway talking to him. <laughs> and I just thought that was so, I look back at that now and I think, good parenting move, dad. I mean, that was like, that was good thinking. But the family phone in modern times, that's sort of the equivalent, as close as you can get to the equivalent of having some control over who they're talking to, how long they're talking to them or what they're doing on the phone. I do love that, Jennifer. That's great. Yeah. And, and on the other side of that is you have to just be the parent. And I think a lot of times, especially with social media, we have to be the parent. And it's really easy to transition into that friend mode with our kids. Hey, I'm going to be on your, you know, your social media account. And, you know, we're going to engage with all your friends. Well, you should be on all of their social media accounts, but choose your engagement very wisely and, and, and take the role of parent and really put those lockdowns on their phone. Do not let their phone be in their bedroom at night. Do not. It absolutely disrupts sleep. And sleep, we know, is, is implicated in a lot of issues. So make sure that phone sits on the counter and you as a parent check it in. And you can also make a lockdown on the phone where it turns off. They have no access to anything after 10 p.m. So if for some reason you fall asleep on the couch at 9.30 and that kid has their phone in the room because you forgot to check... Phone's locked down. They can't do anything with it. Real quickly, remember, too, that most kids, many kids, are happily sharing their Instagram account with their parents because they have another one that their parents don't know about. Yeah. Right. So yes, just be aware true. of that. Yes, there is that certainly that hiding piece. But, you know, in talking about this, uh, how we manage this, one of the, the outcomes of this exact timeline of the increase in technology is the increase in mental health issues in our children and adolescents that is exactly correlational with that um, increase in technology that we are not seeing in the adults. So it's not happening to the adults at the same rate. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I mean, and you know, you always know, like scientists always say, well, correlation does not equal causation. But if it's that close, it, it's not like there are studies coming out saying that it's making life better for kids, that it's like, oh, you, you have a social media account at 12 and it's making you happier and healthier. I mean, the opposite is happening in research all of the time over and over again. I 
Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I wonder if you're a parent who has already let your child kind of down the rabbit hole. If you were like, I let them get an Instagram account. I did this and now I'm seeing, I just had a girlfriend who said that letting her child get Snapchat was the worst decision of her life. And if she could go back and put the lid on the box, she wishes that she could. Is there any way to do that? I mean, can you, can you fix it if you've gone too far, Jennifer? That is a really good question. And we're, a lot of us are dealing with that. I made that same mistake for any of the moms out there. I let my kid have Snapchat at age 12 because we had moved and I wanted her to be, stay in touch with her friends who were living in Wisconsin. We'd moved to Kansas. And I thought that will really help her transition to have this social circle. Well, it did not. And it really is dependent a lot on your child's temperament. And I have, I can tell you my oldest child, the one who got uh, Snapchat at 12 is a very high high functioning. She's ADHD. She's anxiety based. And so this did her no benefits at all. And I've had to, I had to go back and say, this isn't helping you. We've got to create some lockdowns. And um, we did that for a long time. I think that helped a bit, but it also created some chaos in the home because we weren't getting along well, but it was still a fight I was willing to fight. And I think that during those years, I did the best I could trying to fix it. Yeah. I think that's really, that's such an important thing to say, Jennifer, is that you did your best to try and fix it. And, you know, whether it's what we were talking about at the top of this podcast about how much you're sharing or not sharing, that all of these issues, all of these technical enhancements or, um, or, 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 or tools that we have, we we are so new in this game, really. Like we feel like they've been around forever, but we're just at the beginning of it. And that's why the research that Jennifer's talking about is so important. Because if you look at like the rate of teenage suicide, it does correlate. It does. And so I think as parents, we have to look at those things and say, okay, I need to take that research seriously. Although that research may not be exactly inform who my child is or how my child works in the world. But we're, I think we are foolish if we don't look at that research and really be mindful about every choice we make along the way with our children when it has to do with letting them be in the world, in the technical world before they're ready for it. I mean, mm -hmm. I just think about how grateful I am that I grew up at a time, not only did I go to an all-girls school, so I wasn't even influenced by like what boys thought of me. I just flowed through my teenage years not caring what I look like, that I was wearing the ugliest uniform, that I it didn't, I didn't, I didn't see the world reflect, or I didn't, the world wasn't reflecting back at me all the time. And I just, Elizabeth, honestly, what runs through my head all of the time is the story that you told of of your daughter when COVID hit and she didn't want to go to school one day on Zoom because she didn't like the way she was looking that day. Mm -hmm. yeah. How many of us at five are she aware five. of when we were five? Well, when she wasn't she a little, she was in kindergarten at the time. Yeah, she was kindergarten. How many of us 
at that age are hyper aware of what we look like. But but you can't help but be if you're on Zoom. I mean, I take well, classes on Zoom. Well, yeah, it was like, Zoom. what was my choice? I know, you're right. And at it's that awful. point, it was 2020 and there was yeah. no choice. Jennifer, do you see a swing back happening? I mean, I, as a parent, when speaking of kindergarten, when we were looking at kindergartens for my daughter, who she's going to be going into third grade, I remember very specifically touring schools. And if they said we have a one-to-one iPad ratio, I was like, we're out. I'm not doing this school um, because I don't want, and that was a real point of pride for a lot of schools, maybe I don't know, like five to 10 years ago, I remember all of these elementary schools were integrating iPads and it was one-to-one. The kids have to learn how to use technology. This is the modern world. I I feel as a parent that sort of swing back happening of going, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want that amount of technology in the schools, but maybe that's just my own opinion because I get obsessed about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think we are seeing um, a swing back because what we have found is the missing part. COVID taught us all a lot if we were opening our eyes and trying to learn that we were we were absent physical connection, eye contact, affirmations. Um, we were missing that. And we are at the end of the day, and my kids hate it when I tell them this, but at the end of the day, we're an advanced animal and <laughs> animals need sociality. We need it. And we are not being supplemented by this technology. It is not doing for us what we had hoped it would do. Um, With the caveat of folks who are disabled or folks who have some very serious mental health challenges that maybe preclude them from being able to be as social, they can find more sociality than they would normally find. But those of us who run in the range of the normative behaviors, we need people. And it's showing up. People are wanting to get rid of the screens. Oh gosh, Jennifer, you're a joy. I'm so glad that you're friends with Marjorie. Number one, it's good for Marjorie. And um, I do need to, we're going to need to know more about this Caesar salad at some point, whether it's like oh, some yes. sort of recipe post or something, Marjorie. And oh, it was, Jennifer. it was so, so good. And we have, we have, uh, well, you, you learned it, you learned the recipe from a restaurant in Vegas, right, Jennifer? Yes, I had moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where they didn't have the best fare I'd ever eaten. And I was looking for some ways to cook things I had been used to eating and called the restaurant and told him my story. And he happily sent me the recipe. And so I really enjoyed that. But I'm going to tie up what I've said real quick on the topic of food and just recommend to your viewers to try some tech-free family dinners. Have a basket for everybody's technology. Put your technology in the basket. We're going to have a 20-minute dinner and no technology. And at first it's going to feel so uncomfortable, but it actually can be really beneficial. So that's my only little tip there, combining food and technology. I love that you did that. I think that is a perfect (laughs) way to put a bow on this really, really helpful conversation. Jennifer, what a joy to talk to you. I also lived in Green Bay for three years. And um, so I, I can, I get it. I'm picking up what you're throwing down there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad you can. I love it. All right. Jennifer, promise us you'll come back. Okay. I'd love to. Thank you so much. So great. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review on Apple podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at best of the nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.